this is another Pulmine creation in that the uh, the idea, the driving, and the PowerPoint has been created by Sir Meenan. Um, answering a question that we have asked many times in other areas. And so Paul's going to be behind the steering wheel and it's going to throw things in our directions and we'll talk about it and then we'll look at you guys and you can obviously have your inputs as well. Yeah, and if you do want to put anything in, put it in the chat window. You can put the question and answer thing in if you want, but we're not going to get to that immediately. So that might get done at the end. So use the chat window if you want something that's more sort of immediate. Yeah. Awesome. Let me see if the polling is there. I think it's fair to say we've heavily debated how we're going to present this, but um, what we're, what we're, I think the, the mindset behind writing this was to enable people to maybe develop a different way of thinking and mapping uh, things the way I, I kind of learned just by doing this so much on eat sleep repeat of it and I found it worked for me so hopefully it's not the only way of learning it but it's a good way that I learned how to learn basic mm. principles and the law so hopefully everyone gets something out of this and yes I'm a Street Fighter fan and I wanted to just jazz things up I think looking at the discord uh, sorry the discord the um zoom controls I think you are in charge of polling Paul Oh, I know. So if you wanted to do any polls, I think it's I think that's function is for you because I don't see it. All right. Here. Well, I'll try one, but I think the rest of them, yeah. depending on what it takes, we'll there's try two. Chat. There's two polls. One is an EICR code. One is an EAWR code, and I only put a number of regulations on that, looking at the ones that were available in the presentation. So we'll see where it, see how it goes. Okay. Yeah, this may just spectacularly <laughs> fail. You never know. Um, but if it's okay, we can forgive ourselves. Um, this is just about us sharing our knowledge. So when do you want to go, Dave? Crack on, man. Okay, right. Hello, everybody. Literally everybody watching. Thank you for giving us some of your time. Um, as I said earlier, this is going to be a an opportunity for learners, uh, people who've been doing this for 30 years to just uh, sharpen the pencil when it comes to uh, BSM 6M1, the big blue book, and also the law. Um, we, we, we keep referring to this book here, which is... HSR 25 as the electricity work regs, although it's the guidance. And then obviously the big blue book is just here. And that's what I've used to create this presentation. So before we get on, if my computer works. Oh, look, now the music plays. There you go. Right, so there's a bit of, oh, it's not gonna stop now as well. Right, hang on, let me just turn this down. <sighs> Never works when you want it to work. So for everybody who remembers, and if you haven't, or you're watching us on YouTube, whatever, we, me and Dave did an asset management webinar. Where mm -hmm. What I was trying to do was impart some of the, the bigger picture of how infrastructure managers and our clients manage infrastructure. Now, obviously, it didn't really cover the domestic in installers, uh, the domestic dwelling, but this one will help and does apply to the domestic installer, the, the dwelling owner. Um, and so what we kind of did was in that um, webinar, um, which is also available on YouTube, please watch it. We uh, discussed this a little bit, how when an electrician does his work, even though he may feel he's at the bottom of the food chain, he's very much not. He's the enabler for his own destiny. So, and, and that sounds really corny, but clients want to get rid of risk. Electrical infrastructure is a risk. And I've spoken about this. I've done webinars on risk before. Um, if you as a contractor can help manage risk for a, a client and inform them very well and very easily at minimum time and cost yourself, you help a client reduce risk. That can only lead to one thing, money. 
cash. Yes, and uh, the asset management webinar, I believe, is on both the E5. It's on it the is. E5 one as well, isn't it? On the YouTube and, and Spark yeah. Ninja one. It's a couple of hours, and it is me just listening to Paul rambling on using all of his because you have a diploma in some asset management. i have a diploma advanced diploma in asset management yeah. as well as certificate in asset management because i wanted to understand all but the big words there was a lot taken from that and as you've just hinted there if we are contacted by a client and the client is just told that they need to have a, a, a pass and that's the only information that they have if we can then add the value of our work to say well actually this will then indirectly or directly even result in this where we can translate this directly to specific legislations, which just arms the client with more information and more awareness and then more ability to control the risk. It's just about pushing it a little bit higher than giving them a document, which they may have no real understanding of what to do with. Because a document just to 7671 gives them some information about a standard, but it doesn't necessarily join the dots as to what that means to them from the perspective of legislation and compliance. And what we're covering here kind of just adds some extra travel, some extra workload that you can offer to clients to give them more value. It's a roadmap from mm. this to this, basically. That's what this <clears> is. And the roadmap, in theory, will enable you to earn money. Now, I know a lot of electricians go, I never ever pick up the regs book. I can't, I can't, I can't really do much about that. But if oh. you're a company owner or a self-employed man, the more you learn, the more you earn, has been always what I've said. But more importantly than just that, you guys, if you can see on the screen, if it's changed, you guys need to learn how to defend yourself. I'm not talking in the street fighter context, obviously, even though the background infers it. I'm talking about defend yourself if the worst case scenario. And please, please don't ever use the term. It will never happen to me um, because I know Paul, I know John, I know Dave have all read on the HSC website um, precedences and court case papers where someone has lost a limb. There's been an entrapment. There's been an execution. Um, Louise Taggart, Michael's story, yeah. you know, the sad death. You need to be able to defend yourself. When you are out there selecting and erecting an electrical installation, whether it's an extra socket or an extra light, you need to think, what am I doing? Why am I doing it? And can I defend my decisions? Okay. And what we're going to do is teach you, a, I suppose I should have put a bingo mon montage around this instead of Street Fighter, but you need to learn to defend yourself. So number 29, we've said it in podcasts, we've said it in previous webinars, it is the go-to regulation. Now we're going to come on to that before we get started, but what I want to do is just give you some very simple, quick tips. Uh, okay, now within the Electricity at Work regulations, um, which is free to down, download, the statutory law or the ACOP, which this is the ACOP, HSR 25, it's free. Um, Within that, there are a number of absolutes. You'll hear legal eagles and people in senior positions if you're a commercial industrial contractor, if you speak to any health and safety advisors, they'll talk to you about absolutes. Okay, now what we have here is a list of very simple numbers that are regulations or parts of the electricity at work regulations, which are effectively absolutes. Now for Sparks, you don't really need to memorize them. Although if you're a QS, if you're an engineer, you will over time applying your knowledge, you will pick them up. You will remember number eight, number 10, number four, etc. Most sparks really learn 11, 12, 13, a lot of 15. Really a lot well. of training and a lot of information hovers around 13 and 14 as we yes. always debate live work. And yes. then we'll mention 16 with competence. We often kind of bypass eight, nine, 10 and so forth because we go straight to there. But as, as Paul says, all of this is very relevant. 
So they're absolutes, nice, simple one word. And the reason being is, is within health and safety, there are terms uh, practical versus reasonably practicable. And effectively, practical is an absolute. You shall do it. End of. You're doing it. Whatever it is, you're doing it. It's your interpretation. But for instance, let's use earthing. Earthing. You shall do earthing, regardless of whether you haven't got the budget or not. If you haven't got the budget, you're not doing the work because you can't comply with the intent of these absolutes. Now, if it if it's a reasonably practicable regulation, then that's the balance of time, cost, etc. You know, am I going to spend £10 million to do something? No, not really. I'm not going to spend £10 million just to change a socket. It's not yeah. reasonably practicable. Um, and there's a key indicator for people who are trying to learn this, and it's the use of the word shall. So a little bit of homework for any of the learners watching. If you download a copy of um, the Electricity Work Regs or HSR 25, when you're skipping through these, get my favourite, the yellow highlighter pen of doom, and just go through the regulations and where you see the word shall, highlight it. And what you'll find is it maps to the list on the screen. Okay, and when it's a shall, you are doing it, you are considering it. Now, a lot of electricians don't really memorise or learn the electricity work regulations, and that's fine. What I do recommend is you learn this one, back to the defence. Okay, and the defence, uh, John, do you want to tell us about the defence, mate? Yeah, the defence, uh, this is number 29, so... In any proceedings for an offence consisting of a contravention of regulations, all of those, which is basically all of them, it shall be defence for any person to prove that he took all reasonable steps and exercised all due diligence to avoid the commission of that offence. And when it says he, it does mean she and they and all that as well. Um, it's, a bit, it's a bit sexist, isn't it? And he's updating. Yeah. Mm. That's how laws are written. Um, sorry, carry on. Yeah, so um, that's actually what it says, but in more sort of normal language. Regulation 29 applies only in criminal proceedings. So you're basically in the court, someone's with a white wig on in front of you. It applies a defense for a duty holder who can establish that they took all reasonable steps and exercised all due diligence to avoid committing an offense under the regulations. And this comes down to, can you prove that you did those things? Mm. Can I Can I just, I mean, sorry if I'm gonna ask a question, you it. may ask Paul, uh, Mr. Skirm, I know, I know you're muted. Can I ask you a question, sir? You've worked as an expert witness. You've done work in these situations. What, when we see the words all due diligence, how, how would we kind of describe that in practical terms of what kind of work would be done? Well, you'd be expected to provide um, such things as documentation to prove you had done suitable design calculations, um, if we were talking about a BSM 671 installation, you'd be looking for the installation certificates and they would be put past somebody like me. Um, and I would be looking for anything wrong in the electrical installation certificate, down as little as a tick in the wrong place to discredit you if I was on the on the prosecution side. And if I was on the defence side, I'd be trying to to, to justify that the tick was just a clerical error. Um, or if I was working for the court, I would have to be factual and say, well, it's simply wrong. Um, the barristers are the ones that will be trying to trip you up. Um, so, it's, it's, so it shows the importance of delving deep into 7671, but also beyond it, looking at... Yes. The manufacturers yes. and that's where due diligence really yes. comes in isn't it 
Um, for example, you know, you might be um, prosecuted because a piece of equipment that you had fitted had failed and set the place on fire. Um, and it would come down to the fact that perhaps you hadn't fitted it in accordance with the manufacturer's instructions. Hmm. Um, if if uh, I had to do an expert witness report for the court, um, you would be looking at, uh, you know, I would be looking for the facts to prove whether or whether or not that had been done. Um, you would be looking for any evidence that you have that you can lay your hands on for your defense team to prove that you had. Hmm. Um, which, which shows the importance of not just doing a job and then throwing an EICR or sorry, an inspe inspection. So it's about having that manual, all the literature, traceable yes. evidence of all of your due diligence at that point, yeah. do you think? Yeah. Oh, yeah. And if you're designing, if you're designing an installation and you're going outside the uh, like the on-site guide, keep your design calculations. You don't have to deliver them to the client with the with the certificate unless you want to. Mm. Um for commercial industrial jobs, it's arguable that under CDM you should probably mm -hmm. hand your design calculations over. Um, but just keep them anyway, because you can use them as a defense in Reg 29. Yeah, I, I find it interesting that if anybody hasn't realized watching this on YouTube, it, the word shall appears. It shall be your defense um, that you took all reasonable steps, all reasonable steps. It's really important because that means different things to different people. But a court sometimes will just cut through all of the kerfuffle and technical garble and say, did you provide fuse protection? Did you provide an RCD? I don't need to be an electrician. Did you bond it? Did you earth it? Did you do this? Did you place outreach? Did you prevent the children or whatever playing around this stuff? They'll ask common sense questions. So you need to, when you're selecting and erecting, consider the external influences, consider compatibility of the equipment, consider that DC immunity, all that stuff that was under your charge, under your control, while you were selecting and erecting. And I will, I'm going to carry this on because there is a debate as to, I have heard electricians say this doesn't apply to me. Okay. Wow. And yeah, no, I have. So I wanted to, just before we get into chapter 13, I wanted to cover regulation three. Okay. Because this is the one that covers persons on whom the duties apply. Dave, do you want to take us through these key bits? Okay. So three, one here. Let me just move my... Right, so so we're otherwise expressly provided in these regulations, it shall be the duty of every employer and self-employed person to comply with the provisions of these regulations, insofar as they relate to matters which are within his control. So that's something that we can discuss. And do you want me to read the smaller bit? The mines, we excluding the mines from this. No, don't worry, that's just there for the mines. clarity, Good. but no. All right. We're and then, the so that's that's just the mines, which is after 29, basically. And then, so that's employed, self, employer and self-employed. And then we have employees while at work. So the duty of every employee while at work to cooperate with his employer, so far as necessary to enable any duty placed on that employer by the provisions of these regs to be complied with and to comply with the provisions of these regulations insofar as they relate to matters which are within his control. Well, this is this is where I don't think there's enough clarity. Employers and self-employed, they're highlighted in yellow. <clears throat> very, very clear. I make a fairly good living, mate, working mm. with companies trying to help them understand where their controls are. <laughs> yep. Because when companies have people at work and at work, they need to operate machinery. They need to operate production. They have to access panels to reset. And they have some electricians who are level three trained, level four trained. But then they have people who do 
cleaning of conveyors and stuff who may have to reset understanding how to control emphasis of the word here your workplace can be quite complex in some areas you know this is again i'm going to add another document we've mentioned hsr 25 without yep. going off on a tangent i use documents like hsg 85 yep. to assist with this which is all about safe working practices another free to download document uh, sometimes companies do need assistance in understanding how to control their workplace. Well, let's do a quick plug there because I think you've done webinars that cover this in, in ridiculously great detail. I remember one Saturday morning, it was, we're only going to do an hour or two, hour <laughs> four hours later. Four hours later. Um, yeah. But just, just to everyone listening, before we crack on with this, it's really important. Matters are within your control. So if you're a domestic house basher, when you were in that person's house and you were at work being paid, there are mm. matters within your control. That is you selecting and erecting a new consumer unit, an extra socket. When you leave that house, it is no longer under your control. So electricity at work regulations does not apply to my home. But if I do work on it, I'm technically under DIY. But if I was paying myself or somebody paid me to work on their house, I would have to comply with the electricity at work regulations. If I went and did an EICR, I would be under the guise of electricity at work regulations for the duration of that EICR. Once I'd finished and handed over the paperwork, the paperwork would become one of those records which is called upon in regulation four okay mm. we are not saying for the avoidance of doubt that mr and mrs janet and john joe blogs have to comply with a piece of legislation that they don't even know exists this is about electricians electrical installers and engineers understanding when you're at work these matters are within your control and it's every employee at work so it's really important you remember that right moving on Let's get into the bread and butter of it. So for everyone who has a copy of the wine rigs in front of them, if you're watching this on YouTube or, or on our live webinar, um, what I have is a very simple thing that I've always done in my regs book. I'll hold it up to screen and it's very tiny. But what I do is in the column next to the regulations, I just put a little number which tells me what I think the, 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 the allocated law, the associated law or legal requirement of the electricity at work regs. This webinar is purely about chapter 13, which is six pages. We're going to cover it over two, two evenings so that we can yeah. give it a reasonable amount of time. Let's, um, let's, just, let's just add chapter 13, fundamental principles. The yep. rest of parts three, four, five, six, and seven yes. blow up the requirements to comply with that chapter 13. It's not, yes. you know, so yeah. It is the starting point. It is what I say to apprentices. If you learn chapter 13 in a very proficient manner, you will understand and how to know how to use the wine regulations and be able to select and erect in a fairly confident and competent manner. More importantly, if you remember 29 and 13, you will be reasonably confident and competent to be able to say, I know what I know, I know what I don't know, and I can defend myself if asked. So let's get into the first regulation. So if we open up chat 13, if you don't have it, don't worry, put it on the screen. So regulation 131, protection for safety is the header. Uh, 131.1 general requirements and it states the requirements of this chapter are intended to provide for the safety of persons livestock and property against the dangers and damage which may arise may in the reasonable use of electrical installations the requirements to provide for the safety of livestock are applicable in locations intended for them so it's saying that there's there's special locations as well for farms which is in chapter seven um now immediately reading that who what would you guys think is the corresponding electricity at work regulation for that 
So if anyone in that wants to put it in the chat, I'm not going to do a poll on this one. I'll do it while you guys are talking. But for this one, what do you three guys think the corresponding electricity at work regulation would be for that? Putting you lot under pressure now, aren't I? You should have said, get your copy out, boys. I'm going to go through mine now. <clears throat> what do we think? Four, wow. five, eight, ten. So how many do you want to put in it? Yeah. Well, I'll, I'll throw this first one. We talk in. about here protection for yeah. safety. It's such a broad area. So I, I've already put it up. So number five. You're going to go now, with five. There are a lot of people reading this going, well, what the hell's number five? Strength and capability of electrical equipment. And it states no electrical equipment should be put into use where its strength and capability may be exceeded in a way to give rise to danger and your defense is available. Now, really interesting. No equipment put into use where it may give rise to danger. Let's go back. The mm -hmm. requirements of this chapter intended to provide for safety of persons, livestock and property against dangers in a reasonable use of installations. So, so if, to me, there's I'm absolute looking, synergy. If I'm looking at Regulation 6, Adverse or Hazardous Environments, which mm -hmm. would also do that, are you saying you could do that as well? Yeah. Or would you say that would then create an issue with the strength and capability so it would become five in the end? Or are you going five uh, and not six? No, not necessarily. This, this, is not, this is not what we're saying is doctrine and right. Mm -hmm. What we're trying to do is demonstrate a method of thinking to almost effectively link Janet and John. So if we're saying here strength, capability, give rise to danger, and we know that's in the regulation, we should be able to see that there's synergy between them. So what you've just said, regulation six, which is obviously, you know, uh, adverse environments, that would be the mm. line at the bottom, which is livestock specific. So that's more adverse environments, farms, etc. So you could say five slash six. These are not 100% right. And as you'll see, as we go through these, there is more than one. But what I want to do is just introduce you to the, the concept of what we're doing. Yeah. So we'll go through the reg. We'll go through what, what we believe or what I believe. This is my opinion and it's not so, yeah, maybe correct. Let's, let's see if anyone's added anything in the thing. Um, this is how I've learned. Oh, the, the, oh, both John and Paul have shared links in our chat for accessing these publications. And for YouTube, we'll add them in the description. Um, cool. I'll, add, I'll just comment. Uh, Paul Burton was talking about, I think this is where we talk about how, to, how you um, provide your due diligence. He's put installation, check sheets, red line drawings, photographs, detailing what exactly you handed over to the client. Yes. Because yeah, well. who knows what happens to it after you leave it. Yeah, basically you're, you're bottling your own, your own due diligence at that point. And it's true um, that, you know, you have a, like a, a stamp to say this has happened at this point. There was an example, a YouTuber just recently did a video where he put up a panel or a board and uh, a domestic and he was waiting for the supply company to put in a new supply. And in that few weeks, like four or five weeks, another company put in a supply to a pump or site and completely hashed it. It looked awful. You know, and we, we had this chat the other day. I mean, uh, Mr. Mr. We talked about all oh, the idea of using like seals or something to protect your board. And then Mr. Ward held up his, he's got his own kind of ways of sealing a board for his own kind of warranties and stuff. Um, yeah, the holographic. Experience. It's all about, as you say, defense, protecting yourself, protecting your work, protecting the outputs of what you do. And, you know, you may need to think about capturing that and considering what could happen even weeks after you've done that work and that you may end up being accused some level of liability for. You, you, you're never going to know which regulation you're prosecuted under mm. until the papers drop on your desk. <laughs> yes. And, 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 the, and, the, and the judge's gavel comes down and says, guilty. Bang. And this, this is know? why, Paul, I'm trying to get people to see that this is how my, my, my brain gives complete synergy to, to, between the fundamentals of law 
and the fundamental principles of the wine rigs because mm. I found my brain and my decision making in a very confident place because with everything I say I want to do, I'll go through what regulations are and then I'll go, have I exercised all reasonable steps? Have I done all due diligence? Do I need to do more? Okay, I need to commission more of a design. I need to commission more of a survey. I need to commission this to understand the risk to me, my employer, my employees, et cetera, my colleagues. Um, so that's why I do it. But the principles still apply in, in a domestic house while you're selecting and erecting, you know, mm. an installation. You're not going to put a, a, a one mil on a 45 amp break. Well, this is, again, and this is why the word control is so important because the second you go into someone's home and you do something, whether you're putting in a temporary supply, whether you're going to change the board, or you can do any adjustment. If you've taken ownership of some level of change in the way the system was operating before and you've changed it, then you're going to be having to have control over that, even in the domestics. Indeed. Right, Dave, next one. Uh, where are we at? Oh. 131 protection for safety. 131 protection for safety, basic protection. Okay, so this is straight from uh, 7671. Yeah, it is. All right, so basic protection. A person's lives not be protected against dangers that may arise from contact with life parts of the installation. This can be achieved by one of the following, preventing the current from passing through a body of any person or any livestock, so blocking it off, and limiting the current which can pass through a body to a non-hazardous value, such as we may use with IT systems. Yeah. So a form of waste protection. And that goes back to the, um, um, the other standard that basically says if it's dangerous, you shouldn't be able to touch it or, you know, when you do touch it, it shouldn't be dangerous, like electric fences. You can touch electric fences. Why are they not dangerous? Because of the controlled current. So that's a form of basic protection. So I've launched the poll. You've launched the poll? I have, at EAWR Rig. There's yeah. quite a few options there, guys, and um, there's no right answer to this because this has got multiple answers yeah. because the first one was yeah. just a... It's a single-choice poll, so just choose the one that you think most strongly for, all right? Yeah. We're not going to do this for every single one. We'll do this one round, one round at a time. Everyone will go through a reg and we'll see how it goes. Interesting. Oh, some interesting results coming in. Oh, okay. There's another point on this, so I'll just make in the, the button number two on that, limiting the current risk and pass through bodies will not has this value. RCDs don't do that. No, they do not. That's a common understanding, but although you've got a 30 million of RCD, it doesn't limit the current to 30 milliamps. It just means that it's limiting to a certain duration of time in that it trips. So uh, there we go. Yeah, John, stop being awkward. I, can't, I just realised I can't vote. Aren't no, we, you? Can't, we can't vote now. No, we can't, we vote. can't vote. I remember Kirsty moaning about that. Yeah, we can't vote. Okay, so shall we, shall we end the poll? Yeah, if you're happy that second. some people have had a go. Think, uh, yeah, we've got 100% answered. So the poll result oh, cool. will be coming up now. And I will share the results first time I've done this. Here we go. So can you see that? I can see that, yeah. Okay, because yeah, yeah, I can't. Okay. Um, it, basically, everybody's gone with 33% regulation 7, 8% regulation 6, 17% uh, regulation 5, 25% regulation 4, and 8% regulation 8, which was earthing. Really interesting. So I'm now hopefully going to click on this. And this was my first thought. Regulation five. Okay, again, persons and livestock protect against dangers that may arise from contact with live parts. The protection be achieved by on the following: preventing current, limiting the current value passed through the body. So I initially thought it was five because of the strength and capability of electrical equipment. Mm -hmm. No electrical equipment should be put in use where its strength and capability may be exceeded to give rise to danger. 
If I go back, rise to danger could be current passing through the body. So immediately I thought five, but then I thought, what about seven? So 33% of everybody, yes, well done. And the 17% that did regulation five as well, well done. Um, you can argue there's a merit to every single one of them answers, but and that's not a bad thing because there's no wrong answer to this. Um, regulation seven, all conducts in a system which might give rise to danger, suitably covered with insulating material. Isn't it amazing that the electricity at work regs requires basic, simple things like insulated material, protected so far as reasonably practicable, you know, that cost balance to prevent danger or have precautions taken where appropriately their suit would be placed, placing outreach, all those basic principles so far as uh, reasonably practical to, pre to prevent danger. You could argue um, for safe system work, which 25% of everybody has said. So some very interesting results coming from this, and I've no idea how to stop sharing this. So hang on one second. You can close it. Yeah, but go. I mean, Hopefully you can look at the one problem from many different angles. You know, from the perspective of, you know, the protection that was not afforded, as would be required by 7671, and then the risk of that, by the physical thing that wasn't there, such as the lack of an insulation that may be needed, you know, so you can actually come out of this with a couple of these. Yeah, I mean, if you went to 4-1, all systems shall at all times be of such construction as to prevent so far as reasonably practicable danger. Mm. Mm -hmm. It is, it is basic. Right, moving on to 13122, chaps. False protection. Mr. Ward. Oh, right, Mr. Wood. Okay, false protection. Uh, persons and livestock should be protected against dangers that may arise from contact with exposed conductive parts during a fault. And you've got three choices. Preventing a current resulting from a fault from passing through the body of any person or livestock. Limiting the magnitude of the current resulting from a fault. And limiting the duration of a current resulting from a fault. And in connection with fault protection, the application of the method of protective potential bonding is one of the important principles for safety. I am going to. Uh, what do we think on this one, guys? I'm not going to do the poll. I'm taking on this one. pretty much the same as before at the moment. Yeah. What you'll find, guys, is there is a lot of repeat, eat, sleep, repeat mm -hmm. on these, because there are some fundamental core ones. But this is fundamental principles, so naturally you're going to get a lot well, of repetition. But it goes without saying, there's only there's only a few regulations in the electricity regulations. There's lots of you know lots of summary here, but, but there is some curveballs. Yeah, but any simple observation can go straight to one of these common ones, four, five, and so forth. So again, just just mapping out strength and capability of electrical equipment. You read the protection for safety, fault protection. Again, making sure the equipment affords you the level of safety that it has the adequate strength the capability to to provide that fault protection regardless of what the equipment is because when it's all connected it's a system um so that was that was just another quick one but what about also fault protection earthing or other suitable precautions i'd love to know what the other suitable precautions are because earthing is fundamentally what we do to be perfectly frank um yeah precautions shall be taken either by earthing or other suitable means to prevent danger so if i go back Fault protection, EBADOS, ADS, ensuring we have equipotential zones, preventing a current resulting from a, a fault passing through the body of a personal livestock, limiting the magnitude of current resulting from a fault, limiting the duration of current resulting from a fault um, in a non-hazardous time period. This, to me, is, is a five and an eight. Basically. Yeah, well, yeah, I mean, you, this... The whole protective measures can't be... You can't ignore that eight is all about how you achieve... Either you utilise the earthing, or you use as, yeah. as, as another suitable means, such as separation of earthing.
but you identify the risk of earthing. We talked about this in the first regulations that it said about earth and that you needed to kind of avoid that. And obviously we've changed our trend over the years. We've jumped right on it and we've, we've utilized it because of the abundance of earth. Well, um, a lot of electricians will go to installations and they'll find that the DNO fly lead connection onto the old lead sheath is disconnected. Hmm. So they don't have that earthing. So if they make the alteration and addition uh, to the installation, they don't have the earthing. You could argue yeah. that the protection for safety fundamental principle here for fault protection cannot be achieved. This is we're not going to debate the rest of the book. This is those fundamental basic rules to map to the basic mm. rules of the law, which is the electricity at work regs. But right. it's, it's amazingly important to realize the actual bigger picture of just utilizing a little bit of chapter 13, translating that to determine that actually an issue with EAWR mm -hmm. 8, for example. And then what does that mean? Well, that's a legislation now. But, but more so, important you know, that, if we if we go back to electricity work regs and we go back to that reducing risk for your clients, when you're coding an EICR, if you can map to even these fundamental principles and having done this sort of study, you can map it to a statutory law. You can then provide a very powerful report that can say it's unsatisfactory to the requirements of law which then tells an employer they're very much at risk. From a business perspective, mm. if you tell them that and you provide a quote to fix it, then it's it's a winner, winner, chicken dinner. It's, it's, it's money for you for doing your job well, for knowing the regulations well, for knowing there's a link between the law and the regulations and providing a world-class service. And you'll never be out of work. You just won't be because there are too many clients that have failing infrastructure that need competent. Yeah, I mean, there, there are many, there are many clients that will throw this document next to the one with patch testing, next to the one with thermal imaging, next to the one with disease, next to the one. Yeah. And they won't understand necessarily the concept of the content of this work. But if you can do some kind of front document that references the legislation and just outright says non-compliance with law, that may just give them that little and understanding I... and that, that 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 understanding of what value they've got from your work now. So when I was on, when I was learning on the railways and I was developing and growing as an engineer, I used to take BS 7671 and I might put the pictures on Instagram. I used to take 7671 and I'd list out a lot of the requirements. I then did another table with all the railway standards and the railway requirements so that I could compare what 7671 had against the railway requirements, see if there are any gaps. Mm. But more importantly, people would listen to railway standards more than they would the wiring regulations. But what I didn't realize at the time was I was leveling up my approach to understanding multiple um, standards and an understanding of how important these safety principles are. And I would then put across very convincing arguments for doing the job the right way. And then also teaching yourself the right way. We're moving on to the next one. One, three, okay. one, protection for safety. Mr. Skirm, protection against thermal effects. My turn, is it? Okay, so it is. Uh, 131.1, protection against thermal effects. The administration shall. And obviously, we have that word shall again be so arranged that the risk of ignition of flammable materials due to high temperature or electric arc is minimized. In addition, during normal operation of electrical equipment, there shall be minimum risk of burns to persons or livestock. So, which, uh, which EAR rank? Um, there we go, five. Yeah, sorry, I muted myself there. I think it's a five myself. Yeah, so you've got a five because of. Strength capability and the yeah, strength capability. Of Absolutely. We know electrical installations can get warm in their normal operation. We know RCBOs get warm in their normal operation. We know switch rooms sometimes aren't cool. They're red hot. Mm -hmm. um, and that's fine because some installations are designed to operate at warmer temperatures, 30 plus degrees. Yeah. Not a problem at all. Um, but for me, strength and capability over the duration, the life yeah. of the installation. 
It's but also important. also um, you know connections can Fair you know in, incorrect selection of connections over time or the utilization well, you know that will then create the same problem. Well, Dave, me and you have both personally seen vibration on terminal connections. Yeah, caused by vibration from external to the building. Yes, we have. We've, 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 seen, we've, we've seen what can happen. We've yeah. seen what can happen. Yes, yeah. so Instagram and uh, just a bit of vibration, but over time, you know. So again, that strength of capability is really important. Your defense is available. It's it's ironic that number five is one of the few regulations that says twenty nine is available. It's a message. Do it, but your defense is available if you don't do it. So you better have taken all reasonable steps if you don't follow five. So five is a common theme. It's like a golden thread through this, but there are other regulations we're going to get onto and some absolute curveballs that I've thrown in on, on this as well. Right. Also, as well as that, we just mentioned it, connections. Regulation 10 oh, cool. of the electricity work regulations covers connections. Mm. How much of a fundamental is this connections where necessary to prevent danger? Every joint and connection in the system should be mechanically and electrically suitable for use. Interesting yep. word mechanically there. Mr. Well, that's Sir. actually worded in um, 526. It will say that it'll have to consider the electrical and mechanical, suitable for electrical continuity and mechanical strength, I think is the word yeah. in 526. So that's where we might run cables through a piece of conduit to a final point of connection with mm -hmm. maybe a small piece of metal copex. Um, quite often for vibration and stuff like that yeah but quite often the electrical continuity is fairly observant you, you know you're sizing you're rating mm -hmm. but the mechanical strength with regards to understanding the proper utilization of the electrical system over time yep. that can easily be misunderstood if electricians aren't taking a good assessment of general characteristic actions you know if they're not properly doing that i mean the other thing to think about there is mechanical is mechanical strain on a on on a terminal connection, you know, is it pulled too tight? Is the terminal yep. hanging on the wire? You know, is the, is there too much mechanical load on the wire through the terminal? Um, because that will then deteriorate with thermal cycling even faster. Mm. And, and more importantly, if you wanted to do a piece of homework, once you've done this on the left hand side, put your AWR, but on chapter 13, see if you can link them to then section 525 connections etc if you can furthermore take it onward into the book so in your chapter 13 your six pages you've got a level up into the law and you've got a, a guide that just crib sheets across to the relevant applicable section in the wine regulations it, i know it's slightly maybe a weird way of looking at things but it really does work for me which is why i always say learn the six pages and the rest is your oyster but yeah regulation 10 connections really important let's see if i can move this on Next one is me again. Yes. So protection for safety. So we're getting a bit warmer now. Um, protection against thermal effects, because there is another regulation that covers it. Uh, 13132. Persons, livestock, fixed equipment and fixed materials adjacent to electrical installation uh, equipment shall be protected against harmful effects of heat or thermal radiation emitted by electrical equipment. And in particular, following combustion, ignition, degradation of materials, risk of burns, impairment of the safe function of installed equipment. Electrical equipment should not present a fire hazard to adjacent materials. Guys, did we not do a podcast on thatched buildings mm -hmm. and thatched roofs? Mm -hmm. Fundamental principles, this. So you don't even need specialist Mm. information from a thatch society this is fundamentals if you know it's going to get warm or hot or the air is hot that yep. mutual interaction i think is the first phrase go, going back to your um your initial design if you're doing a design and you're working um in 
a industrial location or there's a warehouse or there's a storage area and that you know you need to make sure you understand the certain guidelines about where the client intends on storing waste material storing combustible material there are sections later in the regs about storing of combustible materials and buildings made of combustible materials we must understand the intention of the installation through the life or at least until the subsequent inspections in our design and then as Paul would say we need to document those decisions because if we do a design today and the client has told us oh we're only putting this type of material in here and we decide on a certain type of luminaire with a certain type of uh you know warm beam of heat from it or radiant heaters and then in 18 months they change the use of the building or they change the products they are storing we need to have a declaration that of what is being stored or what those you know what is being used in that location so in case subsequently those decisions change afterwards because that doesn't protect our system unless we document what decisions we made at the beginning you know and those discussions that we had with the client on what those decisions were and the client needs to get involved with that and agree with us that these you know these these discussions were made and these these systems were designed on that point because everything can change later due diligence at that point so this one i put a, a number another five for this because yeah. this this to me is brief, though, Dave, yeah? so it's a thing that you know sorry mm. that's right paul go on you were saying um the, the what dave was describing there is sort of a design brief that you would need yeah. a commercial client or industrial you, client you gotta let the client know what what not assumptions but what decisions you've made on based on what they've given you yeah you know, yeah. um, you don't just do a template design and assume that they're all, you know, one shoot fits all. And the client needs to know that that's the limitations of their installation for so they can to use it safely. And a lot of us don't quite put that down on, yeah. uh, on our designs. Again, if you're watching this on YouTube, you'll be able to just fast forward it back yeah. and forth. But again, protection against thermal effects. It's a very simple link to don't put equipment into use where its strength capability may give rise to danger. Five is, is definitely a quick win. Um, moving on, Dave, you're going to do 131.4 now. 131.4, protection against overcurrent. Persons and livestock will be protected against injury and property will be protected against damage due to excessive temperatures or electromechanical stresses caused by overcurrents likely to arise in live conductors. Take note that protection can be achieved by limiting the overcurrent to a safe value and or a safe duration. So what do we think here, boys? I'm not going to do a poll. I'm going to we'll save that for John. <clears throat> okay, so let me look in my book. Well, I mean, Regulation 11, means for protection against excess of current. Damn you and your book. Yes, absolutely. I've got a book. <laughs> so again, and this is so. This is again. I find this from a from a learner perspective as well. I've done this exercise with some of our learners at work. Um, it's quite amazing to realise that some of these regular laws are basics. Means for protecting from excess of current in a law. Efficient means suitably located shall be provided for protecting from excess of current every part of a system. System, as may be necessary to prevent danger. Lots of people have said the electricity work regs need to be updated. Maybe the guidance, maybe we, a bit of we have the wording. We have had a recent discussion around the table yeah. with people where there there was a frustrating throwback to the point that in one document it's called an installation. And in the other, it's yeah. called a system. Yeah. And they seem to just find that humor, humorous and allow that to maintain confusion. Yeah. Uh, it'd be nice if they could just kind of 
you know, sort I think that given, out. Given the rise of the consumer and the, the mm. smart homes, I think a system is probably the best term, or at least I think so, because it encapsulates everything in my viewpoint. I, I agree completely. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so we, we naturally, I thought that was an 11 because I think it just speaks volumes, means of protecting from excess of current, protection against overcurrent. It's a direct link. Really, really simple stuff. Um, next one, JW. This is protection against fault current. So conductors other than live conductors and any other parts intended to carry a fault current shall be capable of carrying that current without attaining an excessive temperature. Uh, electrical equipment, including conductors, shall be provided with mechanical protection against electromechanical stresses of fault currents as necessary to prevent injury or damage to persons, livestock or property. Oh, I've just launched a poll and, oh dear. Yeah. I told you some of these aren't on the poll. Well, I'm going to cancel the poll. I apologise for launching the poll in the first place. Um, uh, basically, I was hoping that this would prove the point in case this is a, exactly another one. What you'll find in Chapter 13 is there's more than one regulation that gives a little bit of clarity on every little step of the way. Thermal effects, overcurrent, fault current, basic protection. It kind of almost repeats itself to try and hit home. Hence, well, some of these numbers come up again and again and again. But it's it's the different way of wording things so that so that yeah um we can understand or the electricians people using bs 7671 can understand the different aspects of the way they look at an electrical system as opposed to the way the law looks at the electrical system yes you know mm. um totally agree totally agree you, you know we, we could add 41 into into almost any of these as well you know, all systems shall at all times use such construction as to prevent so as far as reasonably practicable danger. Yep. You know, yeah. Uh, what more do you need to say? Almost. Yes. Some of them, some of them are actually really fundamental, and you can just quote one, and it should be able to take you to your twenty-nine. But just remember something: while you, as the selector and director, whether you're working in commercial or industrial, the reason why this is so important is that twenty-nine defence. Have you taken all reasonable steps? And I think in the asset management webinar and a couple of our podcasts, I've said when you're writing an email and you're banging your head against a brick wall, you need to make sure that in your emails, when I was in NICQS and I would write to the chief engineers for London Underground uh, in my emails, I hereby discharge my duty of care. I have taken all reasonable steps. Um, I can't get anywhere with this. It's now for you to do something about it. The minute they see that, because they're very well educated, the chief engineers, they immediately see that the legal obligations on them. And then something gets done. Uh, and as a contractor, I was doing that to my clients. Um, Absolutely. That, was, that uh, was with smart clients. There are a lot of clients out there who are dumb. That Unfortunately, you're going to have to take, don't lower your standards for dumb clients. Show them that you're competent is my advice. I mean, uh, you know, I'm sure we've all, I mean, I've issued electrical danger notifications to um, health boards, you know, mm. hospitals. Yes, you have, haven't you? Yes. Yeah, and that was on a new build. That was on a new build. I issued an electoral danger notification. Right. Uh, who's next? Is it John? No, right, John, me, you've me, just done yours. Paul. No, it's Paul. It's Paul. Oh, my turn, is it? Yes. Right. Okay. Paul, so, protection against voltage disturbances and measures against electromagnetic disturbances. These have come up quite quite a hot topic in 7671 recently, haven't they? They mm -hmm. have. Persons and livestock shall, shall be protected against injury and property shall be protected against any harmful effects as a consequence of a fault between live parts of circuits supplied at different voltages in accordance with section seven, section four, four, two. So 
How do we map that back to the altruistic work regs then? I took a punt at six, which is adverse or hazardous environments. And funnily enough, the clue is on the cover of the guidance note, really, as well. Yeah. Electromagnetic <laughs> disturbances. I know Sean Passat from Dane and Kirsty from Surge Protection Devices. They spend a lot of their time going around trying to educate people. Um, I don't think the wiring rigs have done themselves any glory with that, that very silly risk assessment, which hopefully will be gone um, in future editions of the regs. And we just get to the point where surge protection becomes a norm mm. um, and lightning protection is considered correctly rather than just completely ignored. Or contractors ask for advice from the ECA, the NIC or NAPIT, and that potentially is completely wrong um, as well, because we know from speaking to contractors that has happened. Yeah, that's me being controversial for um, the day. Sorry. And as I said, there's always opportunities to learn more about this, and education is key. I know Kirsty at Surge has got some great online training to up yep. upskill our over voltage protection. I've just recently been to a course with Dane because I th I saw an opportunity to go on a training with Robin, who is part of JPEL, and yep. Sean Passant, who is chair of Atlas. So I thought, well, you know, a room with both of those guys in with the lightning protection aspect with 62305, I just jumped on. Of course and you would. Very valuable day. Uh, there's so much more to learn, though, uh, which is great. Uh, but that's the point of due diligence, Understa hopefully. understanding where things go. I'm, hope I'm hoping I can go on that in January. But if we, if we take everyone through Regulation 6, because it's the first time I've mentioned it tonight, mm -hmm. electrical equipment which may reasonably, foreseeably be exposed to, A, mechanical damage, the effects of weather, yeah, salt mist deposits, UV, natural hazards, you know, uh, tidal movements, rivers, ponds, whatever, temperature. Well, we, we're the UK, temperature's up and down like a yo-yo. Pressure, you know, at height or down below, below ground, on the underground. The effects of wet, dirty, dusty, corrosive conditions or flammable, explosive substances, dust, vapours, gases, so that EX, ATEX type stuff, shall be of such construction or as necessary protected to prevent, so far as reasonably practical, that time and cost balance, danger arising from some such exposure now the, the hazard here is if you have a petrol station and they don't do it right and it blows up your defense you're not really gonna have one if it blows up because you it's fairly evident you haven't taken reasonable steps but one thing that rings out to me in that large chunk of text appendix five external influences yes. and that was exactly what i was going to say external influence b2 my favorite it um, enhanced nature an uh, increased risk of fire due to the nature of process and or stored materials Mm -hmm. woodworking shops barns farm buildings with with hay and, mm -hmm. and straw and um flour mills sugar processing plants plastic processing plants wherever you're creating this sort of fine level of dust that that could be um yeah i mean and this is the thing these are questions that you'll have to get from the client or ask them about their processes about their plan to change their processes over the time you know because especially in manufacturing especially new younger companies things can change in a matter of months yeah. with growth you know i visited an agri company just a few weeks ago which have some issues with dust but they're already planning on taking over two more sites you know uh you've got to look at what the intentions is with growth and you've got to ask those questions so you can document what decisions were made at the time when you made your design so just for ease of mindset that regulation there 13161 protection against voltage disturbances is regulation six in the AWR or can be in, very easily interpreted as regulation six in the AWR, mm -hmm. but also then flips the coin back into the choose your own adventure book known as BS761 <laughs> and 
appendix five external influences which we drum on about and is a really important uh, part of the wine regulations because they're just prompts that make you think have I thought about the utilization have I thought about protection against people in the building if it's a nursery or if it's yep. a uh, refinery or whatever so very important. one that I've come across over the last over, over in my time when I was on the tours a lot and doing the ACRs and stuff was was um, I did a lot in the in the recycling waste industry and paper reprocessing you know paper recycling carbon recycling and plastic recycling mm -hmm. um, the dust that comes off them um, mm. you'd be surprised how fine it is and you'd be surprised how far it gets you know mm. yes indeed right moving on dave 13162 yep. okay. uh, so carrying on with voltage disturbance protection and electromagnetic disturbances this one is persons and livestock will be protected against injury or shall i'll emphasize shall be protected against injury and property shall be protected against damage as a consequence of over voltages such as those originating from atmospheric events or from switching in accordance with section 443 take note protection against lightning strikes on your structures itself comes under the 62305 series which is frustrating the outside of the scope of 7671 yet yet it's mentioned here yeah it's mentioned here it's mentioned here so yeah. we, we have said repeatedly oh. work from the regulations <clears throat> and I've, you're going to have to learn these other ones as i say i i did a course with some guys in this industry who make over voltage devices and they design lightning protection systems and they had nothing but frustration to the fact that electricians aren't getting some involvement with 62305 not from an installation of lightning protections perspective but an understanding of how the risk is controlled perspective so we know how we can work with it because we can't we can't comply with this which would then result in an eawr which i'm gonna go i'm gonna say i'm gonna go with six again like before if we don't have the knowledge to of the risks from 6305 you know yeah, this is the one that they get all these people that seem to think that surge protection or whatever is some kind of optional feature and you can mm -hmm. ask the household if they want it no it isn't it is required it says so right there you shall put it in so surge protection is not an optional feature required has been for quite some time yeah i think it's just that surge protection is not new technology either no. been around for donkey's years it's proven technology yeah i i think one of the problems was when the 18th came out there was a big hoo-ha with industry bodies in obviously chapter four when there was a little bit more I would say clarity, but it didn't cause clarity, it caused confusion. But it mm. stimulated a debate. And because it stimulated debate and confusion, I think a lot of people just went, does that mean domestic? Well, oh, no, I'm not doing that. Because that's more cost, which means I'll lose the work and the the grey what do they call it? It's the the grey economy, which is the unregistered, apparently cowboys, if you're not registered, which is rubbish, but yeah. Um, the grey economy that undercuts the hardworking, honest and decent person. Um can benefit by not putting surge protection in and not protecting the homes. Um, we can't do anything about that because we don't have a regulated industry, unfortunately, no. and none of the industry bodies will dare campaign to say that they're a rogue. But yeah, again, all you that. can do is your due diligence, come up with your own outputs. And if you do your diligence well, you hopefully can help educate clients as to why you're incorporating these devices and these selection decisions. You know, you can also argue Number five on that as well. And on both of them. But I just threw that in because no electrical equipment should be put into use which strength and capability may be exceeded. If you have oh, yeah. a atmospheric event and a transient, 
it, your equipment will be well, exceeded. Yeah. Everything's got an impulse withstand tolerance, of, hasn't it? Mm-hmm. Or what is it? Like typically two and a half kilovolts for category two as a so, standard stuff, you know? Bombarding us with your science now, aren't you? Because you've been on your course, bless you. <laughs> no, that's 7671 stuff. But that's, the, you know, that's normal Joking. stuff. But, you know, th- if you're going to have this over voltage, that's all gone. Yes. At that point. You know? Yep. Right, moving on. JW. Hey, 136.3. Uh, protection against voltage disturbances and measured against electromagnetic disturbances. Similar theme to him before. Persons and livestock shall be protected against injury and property shall be protected against damage as a consequence of under voltage and any subsequent voltage recovery in accordance with section 445. Shall we run a poll? Run yeah, a just poll check that the time. answers that you suggest are in the poll, mate. Oh, yeah. I'm sorry. I, 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 this is the no, problem. Sorry, I, I only have polls. 10 answers in the poll. So can everyone see the poll? And I think I've said it. So it. You can vote. I can't vote, but can you I vote? can vote. Oh, yeah. No. Just so while we're doing vote. this, I'm just going to read a couple of comments because I'm catching yeah. up now. Um, That's great. Joseph has mentioned with regards to SPDs, some national consultancies are still not specifying surge protection as standard. You know, um, um, yeah, it's. I I have done um, lectures at large national consultancies, <clears throat> Arcadis, um, and they didn't really know much about surge protection either. I've just spent an hour and a half on a Teams meeting this afternoon with two major, uh, one really major consultancy, and another really major contractor tier one contractor, uh, civil elect- civils electrical, mm-hmm. mechanical, M- M&E. Um, and it's amazing how badly they get things wrong. Yes. Mm. Oh, I mean, I saw, I, I saw, exactly. I saw, um, there was an article, in our industry produced an article, I think it was one of us, one of our CPSs had put an article out and one of the, one of the online marketing companies pushed it and then I saw Sean Passer going, but what about this? You haven't you done it you've done an example of a warehouse and you've decided to try the risk assessment when you don't even go near that risk assessment if it's a warehouse. You know, the point of the risk assessment is to decide if you do not actually need SPDs. You assess risk to not need them. Um, and they were just using it as an example. And even he got frustrated with that. Um, it's very bad. Yeah, it's just badly used hopefully it's going to disappear in the future it's now the time to tell everyone that sean will be appearing on one of our upcoming podcasts to because i think we've done enough now over the last since the 18 months or so we did the last one and we've grown better as far as our application of it so we'll do another one covering surge and lightning protection i think who knows you may get another four hour megathon out of it who knows gosh yeah yeah just mentioned that Mark Holmes has put a question in the Q&A, which is actually quite interesting. We'll uh, saw that. We'll have to, end. Yeah, we'll have yeah. to definitely come at that at the end. It's a good question. We will be I doing that at the end. So See that. Okay, right. Well, I'm going I to end the Fifth Amendment on that one. <laughs> Don't worry. Can I just ask everyone who hasn't participated, there's only 10 people so far. I'm going to close. Not even half of you have done it yet. So come if on, you want to, get come on, guys, get voting. Come on, guys and girls. I know Sean's on here, so I know it, he's expecting a five-hour megathon, but um, if you can all vote, because I'm going to close this in 15 seconds so that we can briskly go through, because there's a part two to this. But what I do want to do is, is it's really important to get this fundamental principles documented in this type of video form, a webinar form, so that we can say we've done that. And it's a resource for learners, hopefully, 
of any age or stage of your career. Yeah, and then say again, obviously, this is not this is not the only potential uh, mapping that could be done. You yes, know, just we're just giving you examples here, yes. because like I said earlier on, and then we missed it. You won't know what regulation that you're going to be prosecuted under until the papers drop on your. Exactly, Manage. but but the just you know the the mental practice of connecting yes. regulation to legislation. If you practice it, then when someone's dropping a legislation in front of you, you can go right. Let me reverse it, back and draw in these. Form of mind mapping. I've never been able to like find that. the correct term, but it's <laughs> it's mind it's it's my tool, my mind mapping. The way I learned this, everybody learns differently. I'm a visual and audible learner. I like to draw lines and just hold different books up. But I'm going to end this poll now anyway. Right. So. Okay, cool. Right, so the poll is done, and I'm going to share the results. And 62% have said Regulation 6. So what did we say? We said Regulation 6. Mm -hmm. However, Regulation 5, 23% of everybody, absolutely bang on. Yeah, you can, you can use Regulation 5. The reason why we went for, obviously, 6 was because of that adverse or hazardous environments, the reference to, um, to over-voltage, uh, section 445 that was why i picked six over five but yeah you're right you could easily use five some have used uh, regulation seven insulation protection or placing conductors okay and also systems work activities protective equipment number four i think they're all valid go-to parts of the of the regulations to be honest with you um so i'm going to stop sharing now mm -hmm. and i'm going to move us on if my computer works and the next person up is who is it? I think it's Paul. Me, is it? John. Yeah, Paul. It's me, is it? Go on. Yeah, go for so, it. So, protecting his voltage disturbances. I, did we do this one just now? Um, no, point three. Uh, measuring his electromagnetic disturbances. The installation you know, shall again in the N7671 have an adequate level of immunity against electromagnetic disturbances so as to function correctly in the specified environment. Customer specification again. Uh, in accordance with section 444. The installation design shall take into consideration the anticipated EM emissions generated by the installation or the installed equipment. We're seeing this a lot now, installed equipment generating EM, uh, EMC, EMI, which shall be suitable for the current using equipment used with or connected to the installation. So this links back to selection of RCDs. This also links back to Paul mm. and uh, a number of issues. Now, it's yeah. really interesting that in this section, there are four regulations that effectively refer to EMI, EMC, over voltage, electromagnetic disturbances. So it's really important. You can link this to chapter 32 as well. The requirements in chapter 32, we were discussing this the other night, lads, as you know, we were. Um, mm -hmm. But we, we know that there are examples now of installations where there are new build estates being built in England where they've got solar PV, three-phase 63-amp supplies, and they've got EV. And some of these new builds, when they've plugged in their EV chargers, the I-curve, the, the current curve off of the PV has collapsed, and the inverters have shut down. So this whole, oh, charge your car while you're at home with the electrics being generated. There's compatibility issues. There's electromagnetic disturbances. And we need to potentially, and I'm not giving away future podcasts, think about how this equipment mutually interacts and talks to each other. Yeah, compatibility. Compatibility, indeed. So we'll go over six on this one, but let's just go into six again, adverse and hazardous environment. So I think it's fair to say those ones are, are pretty well covered. However, I want to throw a curveball at you all. What other regulation do we think would cover this? 
And I'm throwing a curveball at everybody now. All right. I'm going to go past 29. Oh, okay. So you're going to 30. I'm going to 30. You're playing with 30 now. Exemption certificates. This right. is a really important bit. So I'm I have for this. I have in my career worked with people who have said, I'm exempt from the electricity at work regulations. And I'm thinking, brilliant. Where's your exemption certificate? Mm. Um, now, in Regulation 30, it clearly states, subject to Paragraph 2, the health and safety executive may by certificate in writing exempt any person, any premise, any electrical equipment, any electrical system, any electrical process or activity, or any class of the above from the, any requirement or prohibition imposed by these regulations. Okay, and any such exemption may be granted subject conditions and to a time limit and may be revoked by certificate in writing at any time. So this is a departures, mm. effectively. Like what we have in 761, we can depart. This mm. is the departure from, but you've got to get it in writing. And I can tell you now, and Paul's nodding, because me and Paul both know a HSE inspector who sits on an electrical safety roundtable with us. And getting that, you'll need to be a major, major, major infrastructure project and have done a hell of a lot of due diligence to prove that it's, it's a multi-billion pound experience. To, and I can, I'll give you one example. London Underground, when I first started, had no main potential bonding, none on any services whatsoever in the late 90s. Yeah. The chief engineer at the time, his excuse was, we're under the ground. Why do we need earthing and bonding? I laughed because they actually had a standard that was called exemptions from 7671, which in turn could have been interpreted as exemptions from electricity work regs. Um, that got withdrawn pretty quick when everybody kicked back and said, don't be stupid. It is reasonably practical to do earthing. It's essential for the protection of safety. And what about two thirds of the underground being above ground, not under the ground, in effect, for your tube, which you could argue is an earth rod, mm. which they do use as an earthing system. Um, and so these exemption certificates are very, very rare to find. I don't know of any place where an exemption certificate is granted, but there is always the potential for it. And it's a really, really rarely spoken about regulation. Let's um, be honest, your average domestic contractor is not no, going to never. get no. an exemption. No, yet. this is not <clears throat> aimed at the dwelling guys, the domestic guys. This is the heavy industrial spark, the major project guys. Um, and I'll be honest with you, even Crossrail wouldn't get an exemption certificate. Maybe nuclear, maybe generation, yep. maybe distribution. Something like offshore go down that avenue or not. Maybe. I mean, we're talking like, like how departures works in 7671, uh, where you've got to put all of the work in to evidence that there's no lesser safe degree. Yeah. And that's yeah. a lot of work. It is. You know, um, that, that's, that's the crux of my hour and a half meeting this afternoon. Um, <laughs> <laughs> they didn't comply with the standards. So yeah. they've now got a lot of legwork to do because, you know, we can ignore this. We can ignore 7671, but it's not a good plan. Mm. Makes life hell. Yeah, um, uh, free environments, stuff like that. You may have to do special installation requirements, special selection and erection requirements <coughs> to ensure that there are no sparks in these uh, free environments. That, is this is this sorry. an exception? Sorry, is this an exception certificate from EAWR or any one regulation? Well, hmm, it depends on what you can persuade them to do, doesn't it? Mm. Yes. I mean, if I try to comply with all of it, but there was one regulation I just couldn't get done, wouldn't exception would certificate be suitable? I would argue that you would have to present your case as to why you can comply. So, for instance, you may build a massive piece of infrastructure temporarily. Um, and mm. let's say it's a national grid. Let's say it's a, uh, a bypass uh, connection for a generator that will 
you know, back up part of the national grid in case it fails. However, you can't guarantee that the safest system of work will be able to be applied because it requires manual intervention working live just because of the nature of the work. OK, mm -hmm. then you may turn around and say, look, I've put all reasonable steps in place um, and I need an exemption and I will have suitable and sufficient means of mitigation in tools, training, materials, PPE. I will eliminate risk as far as I will demonstrate. Now, these things are novels that you're going to have to write out. To be honest with you, they're novel. Say, but but uh, isn't that, I thought that evidence was used to actually fulfil compliance with the regulation. Yeah, but when you're doing your design, your design is demonstrating that compliance. But where mm. it can't, most designs, including seven six seven one, is there not a document that says departures from seven six seven one, where the box, designer yeah. should list the departures? Well, by by the designer listing the departures, when I get a certificate, if I see the departure section filled in, the first thing I do is go, where is the supporting document for this? Because you are then breaching electricity work regs. Oh, yeah. That's the point. Yes. Too many people. The departures box is there for use. And unless it's a very simple, basic departure, mm -hmm. that you can justify with a one-line answer. For example, <clears throat> you've used... Um, I can't even think of one now. A flexible cable where you would have expected to have used a, a more rigid cable like a steel wire armoured or a, or, a, or a 6491 type cable with a class 2 conductor or class 1 conductor because you've got something that is going past or over or under or connecting to that's vibrating. Right. So, you know, a quick, simple departure. Otherwise, you're looking exactly as Paul says. You should be backing that up with risk assessments, with justification, with failure mode effects analysis, with, with your design all that should be behind that departure it's not just a, a whip a flippant i'm departing because of this mm. it's got to be something to back it up if you want to cover yourself under this and there is there is a balance with everything because a lot of people will be thinking oh you're just saying that i have to do loads of paperwork before i turn a screwdriver no you have to have the brains to understand what decisions you're making when you're selecting, directing, and working electrical systems. Because yeah. if it goes wrong, and, you must have a defence. And many of those decisions, you need to reflect on if better planning could have avoided those decisions. Yeah, you hindsight. Know, so, you know, sometimes if you've got an issue you're trying to then control, if it had been planned better in the beginning, then that would have been, you know, Indeed. avoided. Right, let's crack on, because yep. I, know, I know Mr Mitchell wants us to be on here for another three hours. <laughs> Right, uh, it's me, isn't it? Right, okay. So 131 protection for safety again. 1317 protection against power supply interruption. Where danger or damage is expected to arise due to the interruption of supply, suitable provision should be made in the installation or installed equipment. I refer to you to the example I've just given. If you were doing a standby generator or a changeover connection system, what regulation do you think? Where danger or damage is expected to arise due to interruption of supply. Now, this could be loads of things. It could be applied to emergency lying, fire alarm systems, battery backups. Um, but, but it's interesting. Interruption of supply. There's a level of danger with interruption of supply because a lot of commercial industrial installations have backup systems. So my interpretation of this was four. Okay. Safe system, systems, work activities and protective equipments. Yeah. This was that all systems shall be constructed to prevent danger. As may be necessary to prevent danger, all systems shall be maintained so as far to prevent reasonably practical danger. Mm. Every work activity, including operation and maintenance, 
and any equipment provided shall obviously be suitable for it, for its intended use and be properly used. For me, this is Safe Systems of Work 101. This is the one that I went to first when I was reading this because it's protection against power supply interruption. I need to have made sure that I've maintained, I operate correctly, carry it in a manner that it's not dangerous, that the installation is selected and erected. This isn't your dwelling stuff now. This isn't your domestic. This is your commercial industrial type stuff. And I went for a four on it because it just made sense mm. to me on that. Uh, moving on, Dave. Yeah. Well, you mentioned it's not domestic. You could maybe in the future argue that if you had like smoke detectors or fire alarms working on the supply and that was safety critical and you had a power outage. What am I and, talking about? You're right. Yeah, but that's about prosumering. it. No, 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 you're right. Yeah. Look at prosumer. Yeah. If you've got a Tesla wall and an EV Tesla and a PV system on the roof, if there's a power supply interruption, you're still going, but you're 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 laughing. You're just sitting there going, hey, hey I'm a prosumer. I'm in island yeah. mode. This yeah. is the future, by the way. This is going to happen. So this is more relevant to domestic as time goes on. Something, yeah, something we're going to have to think about more and more is you know, the criticality of our wiring systems. Well, we start okay. a new section now. Design. <laughs> to design. I'm reading so this. many electricians. Yes, you are. But I just okay. want to start by saying the amount of electricians who say, I don't need to do a design. Oh, I don't do design. It's a fundamental principle. <laughs> Dave, on to you. All right, 132.1. General, the installation will be designed, or shall be designed, by one or more skilled persons to provide for the protection of persons, livestock, and property in accordance with Section 131, which is the fundamental principles we've just gone through, yep. and the proper functioning of the electrical installation for its intended use. So it's got to actually function for the job. The information required as base is for the design and stated in Regulations 132.2 to 5, and then it will meet the requirements or will comply with regulations 1326 to 16. So yeah, um, you must fulfill the requirements of the fundamental principles from section 131, which is basically all of part four in the regs book, by the way. That's what part four in the regs book, Protection for Safety does. It expands on the fundamental principles of section 131. So you've got to comply with all of that or the requirements of that. And then fundamentally, if you go, yeah, yeah, well, I'll do this and I'll do this and I'll do that. But then the output is you've got an installation that is not going to meet the requirements of the client. It's not going to function for the intended use. Then, you know, you've, you've gone backwards. It needs to be functional. So I just launched a poll realizing the answer wasn't in there. So apologies, everybody. Yeah. Me being an idiot again. Um, my interpretation of this one, I took, I, when I read my regs book, highlight a pen, I look for keywords. And the first keyword that stands out, which is unusual, is skilled. Okay. Because to me, skill builds a, I need, there's a bigger picture here. So I went for, if I can find the right button to click, I went for regulation 16 of the electricity at work regs, because if I'm to design all of this good stuff to provide this protection and functioning and all the rest of it, mm. I need to be a person who is competent to prevent danger and injury. Mm -hmm. Do you want to read that bit? Yeah. So no person shall be engaged in any work activity where technical knowledge or experience is necessary prevent danger or appropriate injury unless he possesses such knowledge or experience or is under such a degree of supervision as may be appropriate having regard to the nature of the work i i find myself having to repeat those words the nature of the work so many times it's one of the it's one of the issues i have for people who call themselves fully qualified and all this stuff is like you yeah if you don't want to take on other challenges or other avenues in the future but you've got to make sure that the nature of the work you're undertaking that you have the ability to prevent danger 
but Dave Betteridge has said on the chat, competence equals skate. So I'm going to level you up, Dave. <laughs> I've got a new term. It's called skating. Okay. Skills, knowledge, attitude, training, qualifications, your experience, your interest, and know the ability to say it. Skating is my new term now for defining the generalist application of competency. If you can use skating as a term to inquire and be inquisitive with people, um, I think, yeah, I think I think it works, to be honest with you. But skate is great. We love skate. Um, I like that. I'm stealing it. Yeah, steal away. Steal away. Skating. Unless, as, as you said, this does not mean you have to have a 2396 design course to be a designer. You know, if you're going to take on the requirements of 7671, if you're going to design a system, then by default, you're making those decisions. So, you know, just on this one, though, um, right. and I'm going to I'm going to challenge this. So we've, we've said, obviously, to do design, persons need to be competent. But what other regulations? And I'm going to throw it. I'm going to throw this one without doing a poll. Very simply, all of them. You're going to be designing oh, yeah. something that the electrical installer is utilizing. You need to consider these regulations. And when you read through them, they're actually very simplistic. Safe system work, adverse environments, insulation, connections, isolation, all that mm. good stuff. It's fundamental principles. And this is why I keep saying to people, learn your chapter. Yeah. And I, I want to I want to just say something Joe's mentioned here. Be aware that designs outsourced to consultancies Many write in their terms and cons that they provide design intent only. Accountability lies with the main contractor to ensure the design is compliant with all relevant standards. Good point. I've got, yeah, I mean, my experience, many design companies just sit in an office, play with software with some intent. But if they have not gone to site and they have not had that discussion with the client and have properly done part three of the regs, you know, assessment of general characteristics, which I often translate to be pre-work survey, there's so much data that you need to collect to start building a proper functional, we just saw functional mentioned design. And you can't do that sat in an office unless well, you've got an awful lot of other information. I do know from speaking of personal experience in rail, I've employed major major design consultancies to do design. And Joey's absolutely right. What they do is in their, on the front cover of their documents, even if it's a detailed design, they will say this is design intent only um, uh, responsibility for compliance lies with the in- competent installer and they'll put it on the drawings. So what I do is anytime I engage one of these companies, I ensure that every part of that is removed. And what I found with the major ones, the major ones go straight to their safety directors, straight to their insurance companies. And they do it because they've lost money on jobs where they've done negligent or incompetent designs because they haven't managed and supervised the works being done under regulation 16 that's then cost the contractor money and the project money, hundreds of millions of pounds. So the designers and the uh, insurers get together and they come up with these Teflon-y coating uh, words of statements of intent. Now, I actually had a, con- dis- a chat with a designer the other week who produced a design and said, I produce designs based on a competent electrician being able to read and do the install. He then had a phone call from said electrician or electrical installer's electrician who said to him, um, this earth bar, what colour cable connects to it? This is a true story. And where he had an earth bar going around, around a static free room, he then got asked a question of, it's in front of the door. Does it need to go around the door? Now, people will laugh when they hear this and go, yeah, you're making this up. I'm not making it up. So I, I, I genuinely, I could write a book over the last five years of some of the questions I've been asked. You can't make this stuff up. 
you just can't but that's what's out there unfortunately and that's fine we just need to help and support each other and teach and educate um mm. so yeah all of them really important design so never let anybody tell you that there isn't a responsibility to consider the design the system as a design um and because we're about to go through it and we're not going to finish all of this today but john do you want to carry a one three two two yeah that is uh, characteristics of available supply or suppliers because you can have more than one so information on the characteristics of the available supply or suppliers shall be determined by calculation measurement inquiry or inspection and the following characteristics shall be included in the documentation referred to in 13213 to show conformity with regulations and notice shall be so again it's something you will be doing we've got nature of the current ac and or dc Purpose and number of conductors uh, for AC line conductors got neutral protective conductor pen conductor and for DC conductors equivalent to those protective conductors pen conductors outer middle earth live and so on values and tolerances so your nominal voltage and the tolerances so that's like your plus or minus ten percent nominal frequency frequency tolerances maximum current allowable perspective fault current external earth fault loop impedance protective measures inherent in the supply. So earth neutral or mid-wire, and there are others, and particular requirements of the distributor. And note that if the distributor changes the characteristics of the power supply, this may affect the safety of the installation, and that probably will affect mm. the safety of the installation, in fact. So, uh, yeah. Can I just, can I just, I don't know if people see this. Broken pen, broken pen. Hello. <laughs> if the distributor changes the characteristics, did we not talk about this a year ago in a podcast where I had a TNS installation, the cable went boom, and they linked it with a bit of TNC cable, making the entire TNS TNC. And then if you go on our Instagram in mm. on our divert neutral current, I wrote to UK Power Network who acknowledged that most of their network is TNCS. So there is no TNS yeah. anymore. Even the IET have acknowledged that TNS really doesn't exist that much unless it's a private network. It's the it's not just the it's not just the the, the the TNS TNCS debate. I mean, you might find that additional loads are going to be put onto the network, yes. so they redistribute where supplies are coming from, and they drop another transformer in right you know twenty feet from yep. the premises, which shoots yeah. your supply characteristics all yeah. the way down, right increases your fault currents. Yeah, yeah, that I've seen happen on the railways quite a lot. Mm. Booster transformers gone in and boom, your fault current levels are through the roof. Um, so. I, I, what do you guys think on this? Um, I know I was a bit lazy, but I'm just going to shout it out. Here's another five. <laughs> going with a five. I'm going with a five. A strength and capability. It's a good starting point, though, really, isn't it? It is, it is a great starting point. You know, do you want to show you? And I think it does cover a lot of that. No electrical point of use for strength and capability. Interestingly, it doesn't state about existing equipment being put into use or remaining in use. Because that note at the bottom, if the distributor changes the characteristics, they may affect the safety. But it doesn't say that in five. Well, again, it's just literacy at work. If you're using equipment that's already there, if the supply characteristics have shifted, you're putting that into use, aren't you? Not if it's already in use. Or one. Or for one, yeah. At all times be of such construction as to prevent so far all times. practicable danger. For one. There you go. So for one, I haven't put that in the slide deck, by the way. I just <laughs> literally picked that up now, reading through it for the 10th yeah. time. But there you go. Right. Um, next one is Mr. Skirm again. Okay. So nature of the demand. 
The number and type of circuits required for lighting, heating, power, control, signaling, communication, and information technology, etc., shall be determined from knowledge of locations of the points of power demand, loads to be expected on the various circuits, daily and yearly variation of demand, any special conditions such as harmonics, another big hot topic, requirements for control, signaling, communication, information technology, etc., anticipated future demand if specified. So we're back now to getting a spec from the client yeah it's all of this i mean I, I when i do like regulations training i have to address the need to understand the utilization of the electrical installation Absolutely. for the life or for the planned future at least um is the company new is the company going to grow are they not even specifying new machinery harmonics There's so much that can change you've got to understand where you're working from and all of that's got to come with a discussion. So with this the is this is where a lot of contractors will struggle because yeah. I get told a lot that I'm a unique client um, <laughs> because I'm able to write what I want and then go and set it yeah. out with the electricians. And that's fine because that to me is normal. Um, but there are a lot of clients out there who are as thick as two wooden planks mm -hmm. who don't know and will see an NIC badge and go, you tell me what I want. I want something to work. Mm. Go away and do. And this is where 132 kicks in, fundamental principles, you can then maximize your opportunity for revenue and to de-risk the client by saying, I will need to produce a small design. Now, it doesn't have to be much. You can just do a no. single line Calcon Amtec. Yeah, selection, direction of materials, documenting it all in your, your RAMs, your methodology, et cetera, et cetera. That is more than enough. I'm going to use Galv. I'm going to use GRP. I'm going to consider this, putting at height, et cetera. For this one, I went with... Uh -oh. I've just gone completely off track. Hang on a second. My screen's gone funny. Yeah. And then the client comes along, says, Oh, you're too expensive. And he sends all your Somebody else don't this, you. This is where you'd have to that is the nature of the This is where you'd sometimes. have to evaluate your value. I mean, if you're going to do all that work, then you can go, Well, what else can I do? Maybe you can even give some data to your client about what they have, like demand, diversity, maximum current allowable. Give them an understanding of what the capacity they have, what they can do in the future um just so they know how to control their systems better you know in in a few years we're going to go and we're going to have energy efficiency come back at us i'm going to start talking about i don't know dare we talk about the berry center methods again and the idea of having that information passed across it's all going to be relating to our knowledge or our discussions with the clients you know agree you got, you got your thing working now paul I have. Thank Man. you for helping me with That's that story. Um, so, yeah, Regulation 5, I went with obviously no strength, but also 6, adverse and hazardous environments. Yeah. Because I think if we go back to that, nature of demand, hazardous environments, special conditions, yearly variation demand, um, locations of points of power demand, requirements of control. I think there's adapted, mm. anticipated future demand. I think, and I'm going to say this out loud, when we are doing maximum demand calculations, I think we are in the stone ages. We are now mm -hmm. using whole different load profiles, and I think maximum demand calcs need to be seriously reconsidered. We've, we've, but in we've a very this, phased and controlled manner. We've said this a few times. The yeah. the processes used, especially like in the on-site guide, um, need to be addressed now. They have not been updated for years. No. And, and more really, more, <laughs> sorry, John. Yeah, most of what's in there is it dates from the nineteen thirties. That's now, how old it is. <laughs> interesting you say that, John, because there are now, I believe, BSI flex documents that talk about the drive to reduce the energy consumption even more now. So where you have a 10-watt bulb, you may have it as a 2-watt bulb. So really driving that energy consumption down to a 
minuscule amount. And, and that's what scares me, because I think in 30, 40 years, houses, their maximum demands may be in the very low amperage range. Well, we're going to need all that capability to charge all these electric vehicles without blowing holes in the pavement where the dodgy joints heating up with the dual heating. And that's the time I risk balance that. there that the DNOs are probably taking. Right, the same with design. Um, one, three, two, four, and that's with, no, it's with me again, isn't it? Yeah, sorry. You, yeah. Right, electrical supply systems for safety services or standby electrical supply systems. Where a supply for safety services or standby electrical supply systems is specified, the following shall be determined. Characteristics of the supply and circuits to be supplied by the safety source. Excuse me. <clears throat> so what do we think with that one? I, I think I took a punt at, I went with my safe zone. Yeah, number five, because, oh, have I done something wrong here? Yeah, I that needs that, five. No, no, five is five is there. You've, that slide that you just had needs to not be there because we've already done that one. Oh, right. One, three, two, three. We're on one, three, two, four. Okay, I've messed up there then. You, Apologies. You, you've got a little go. All right. Okay. Apologies. Yeah, regulation five. So strength, capability of the electrical equipment. We all know uh, regulation five. I've done it a few times. We'll skip over that one, and that one is a mistake. My apologies. Um, you could also argue connections. Um, we'll just jump across we to 13251, environmental conditions. Yeah. Dave. Me. Okay, environmental conditions. Design of the installation will take into account the environmental conditions to which it will be subjected. Okay. Six. It's a good start off a 10. Well, again, I mean, you, you could be lazy to go it's got environments in it. So, yeah, you could definitely start here with six. Um, but this is one of the things as well. There are three references in Chapter 13 alone just about external influences. So there's at least three direct links to Regulation 6 and then Appendix 5 external influences, the mm -hmm. concise list of. Um, and I do think six is the go-to one. For if we were mind mapping, environmental conditions, design shall take into account. Well, adverse and hazardous environments would be one of those key things that would extend our thought processes around the normal and reasonable use of electrical installation, say in a dwelling or, you know, we go commercial industrial here, really, aren't we, to a certain extent, or gardens. Well, yeah, um, but it's, it's not, it's not, we, we need to make sure we don't see those words and go, oh, that must mean, you know, like, ATEX, COMPEX, HV, you know, we must make sure we understand that hazardous environments convert, you know, occur in LV systems. You know, we have part seven, which is there because of hazardous environments with additional requirements to comply, like bathrooms and stuff. So, we, you know, you can actually identify what hazardous environments are. It doesn't just mean, oh, that only applies to, you know, COMPEX, ATEX, etc. Agree. Um, we will move on. JW? One, three, two, five, two. Yep, this is more environmental conditions. So equipment in surrounding susceptible to risk of fire or explosion shall be so constructed or protected and such other special precautions shall be taken as to prevent danger. Should we run a poll? Let's relaunch the poll, see what everyone thinks. Right. If we could all do the poll. I need you there. There we go. I've done my pop. <clears throat> I think everybody's getting the theme now. <laughs> I think everybody's getting the theme. So I'm going to close this in a few minutes. Everybody could just click that magic button, however they're doing it. 
For those watching on YouTube, we run interactive polls. And also we like this because it's a bit more live and engaging and we do the Q&A at the end. And so apologies. We have no idea how this gets. We I, I have no idea how to put all this into the one screen. So just forget it and enjoy the, the mm -hmm. pleasure of seeing our beautiful faces and the slide deck to the right of us or left, whatever yeah, side it's going on. Chat. Okay. Right. Another 15 seconds. I'm going to end this, guys. And this is one that I, I actually did cover in the asset management webinar where I showed a picture of some corroded containment and talked yeah. about in risk, whole life cost. Um, how long had that been installed? Because it was five years. Remember some of the images I had? Five-year installation that was completely failed and shut half a railway. Um, I'm going to end the poll now. And I'm going to share the results. And lo and behold, 93 of you thought it was Regulation 6. Mm. You were bang on. Well done, yeah, and also five. The go to, the go to start of a ten, almost. <laughs> apart from Paul's four point one, um, which is the the almost the preamble to all of it. <laughs> so if you want to even go over a shorter sentence to memorise, um. So there you go, six equipment that may be reasonably foreseeable exposed to mechanical damage and all that good stuff, wet, dusty, dirty, corrosive conditions. So. Thank you, everyone, for that poll. Um, Reg Regulation 6 was a good answer. Uh, we will move on now, and we are back to Mr. Skirm on design, if he can unmute himself. So uh, design cross-sectional area of conductors, yeah. The cross-sectional area of conductors shall be determined for both normal operating conditions and where appropriate for fault conditions, according to... Admissible maximum temperature, admissible voltage drop, electromechanical stress is likely to occur due to short circuit and earth fault currents. Other mechanical stresses to which the conductor is likely to be exposed. The maximum impedance for correct operation of short circuit and earth fault protection. The methods of installation, harmonics and thermal insulation. So, we're going to go for which regs here? I mean, we've got a variety. I mean, you can talk mm. about strength there. You can talk about you can talk about the. Um, You've got connections yeah as well means so to protect just, from excess of currents just sizing. remember the mad the mad rule of the yellow pen of doom okay yeah. look for the key word conductors that's one that stands out for me because it appears more than once okay so i picked on this one if i can get this screen to work again i picked 10 you picked 10 so you picked connections, connections i did where necessary to prevent danger every joint and connection in a system more than one part shall be mechanically electrical suitable for use. Mm -hmm. So that that's my interpretation, and it's my interpretation of that requirement for design for cross-sectional area conductors: See. sizing, suitability, connection details, stresses, external influences, the whole lot. We uh, it, go we, on, go on. we as Sparks immediately think of a connection, right, as where we stick a wire in and tighten a screw onto it. Yeah. Yep. But we're looking at a much wider thing here. We're looking at the whole system. So the, the, the connection could be the connection between the incoming supply and your current consuming device, i.e. the piece of wire that goes between them. Mm -hmm. Interesting you said that, Paul, because on this one, I didn't just pick number 10. I oh, picked yeah. number seven. Number seven. Yeah. But Insulation, 10, protection, and placing of conductors. Number 10 doesn't limit itself to a wire under a screw. No, it doesn't. That's the joint. 
the connection yes. could be the joint or it could be the piece of wire connecting the two devices. And that's why I've used seven because it says all conductors in a system hmm. which may give rise shall be suitably covered with insulated material and necessary protected to prevent so far as practical danger or have precautions taken in respect of them, including where appropriate, they're being suitably placed as will prevent so far as practicable danger. This is why we use conduits and copexes and all that jazz. So yeah, 10 and seven was the go-to ones because again, this, this is not about trying to teach you this one regulation. It's trying to enable you to create a memory map of go-to fundamental uh, principles, fundamental laws. If you haven't, again, if you haven't got HSR 25 in front of you and you're watching on YouTube, pause it, download it, go back and look into the guidance with HSR 25 and it'll help you really kind of see what, you know, what it's getting at with these. Indeed. I mean, well, this is why DNOs and, and the, the, the National Grid put their cables up in the air as well, isn't it? It's, it's, out, of, it's out of reach, it says, yeah. so, you know. Weirdly you say that because moving on to the next one. Nice. Uh, Type of wiring and method of installation. The choice, 1327, the choice of the type of wiring system and the method of installation shall include the consideration of the following. The nature of the location, including external influences maybe. Mm. The nature of the structure supporting the wiring, exactly what you were saying, Paul, with you know, the national grid and overhead lines and stuff. Accessibility of wiring to persons and livestock, placing out of reach. The voltage, which is very important. The electromechanical stress is likely to occur due to short circuit and earth fault currents. Electromagnetic interference, atmospheric, transient switching. Uh, other external influences, mechanical, thermal, you know, salt mist deposits, all sorts of jazz. Uh, and those associated with fire, to which the wiring is likely to be exposed during the erection of the electrical installation or in service. Really interesting line, that really, isn't it? Well, sure you know, there, are, there, are, there are significantly different external influences in the erection processes of wiring systems, and they're very vulnerable if we don't properly um, consider, consider them. They even will say to add additional measures, additional insulation, reinforced insulation, or whatever. Yeah. So I went back to, back to planning. I went with six for that one okay. because I saw a lot of that. While it is basic principles of placing out of reach, I, I saw a lot of within that external influences so i went to my adverse or hazardous environments one now paul will uh, immediately say it doesn't have to be an adverse or hazardous environment it could just be a 4.1 mm -hmm. that it's suitable uh, suitable for its use etc but i just went uh, initially to go to adverse or hazardous environments mechanical damage effects of weather that was it, it, it sung to me this is what i'm thinking of as an initial start of a 10 and remember, there's no limit to the numbers you can put in your reports as well. If you want to report it, that is, of course. Yeah. It's entirely up to you. We're not saying should. Yeah. So I also put seven for it as well. Insulation protection and placing of conductors, especially because, you know, placing out of reach, basic, basic protection. Mm -hmm. If you've got exposed wires at height, place them out of reach away from roofs where somebody could get a shock. DNOs do try and do that. Um, next one, Dave. Okay, um, protective equipment 132.8. Characteristics of protective equipment shall be determined with respect to their function, including protection against the effects of an overload, a fault current, an overvoltage, an undervoltage, and no voltage. The protective devices shall operate at values of current, voltage, and time, which are suitably related to the characteristics of the circuits and to the possibilities of danger. I've run a poll. 
You run a poll. This is our last one. Okay. We, we are stopping here today and we will carry this on next Tuesday. So what does everybody think? I think this is, I think hopefully you're seeing there's a common theme with some of the numbers. Um, but trust me, I, I use, I'm, this is how I'm able to sit in meetings and go, oh, well, if we don't do that, we're in breach of regulation six. If we don't do that, we're in breach of regulation four. If we don't do this, hmm. you know, I can't, I, we must, I've sat in meetings and I'm not joking. I've sat in meetings where people have said, we're not doing the earthing, we're not doing the bonding. And I'm sitting there going, but it's earthing, it's regulation eight, it's a, it's a shall, regardless of cost. Really? And what you'll find is most people in the room aren't qualified <laughs> electrical engineers. This is where you need to help them level up mm. or just, as I've used before the term, be the brick wall. Okay, that's cool. Yeah, I be the brick wall. So basically you just bombard them with regular, I, I will sit at work and argue statutory law till I'm blue in the face and then say, somebody tell me if I'm wrong. The room falls silent. I then say, okay, give me the money to do the work properly. Mm. It's the life of a client, eh? It's great fun. <laughs> so somebody in this poll has got a sneaky suspicion and have picked up on some of the numbers we've used. Oh, they've I'll gone give you another a, minute. They've gone for a curveball, have they? No, 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 they've gone for... Although you, we need to change this poll for next week so we can add some more numbers. In yes, it. yes, need to add some more options. It's, it's, it's limited to 10. Ah, so oh, uh, right, gotcha. Yeah, no, I was, was going to do a couple more, but we've obviously, because you're in control, we've only managed to put one up for you. Sorry. No, 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 no. I'll, right, I'll... I'll end this in 15 seconds, everybody. So um, please vote. Mm. Ben Pearson in the comments has put, uh, there's a new IET maximum demand guide coming out shortly perhaps it'll be more updated and helpful oh maybe. maybe they've listened yeah, i don't know who's working on that i was going to say paul you should know who's working on that i will ask <laughs> <He's> gonna, <yeah. laughs> i think i have an i have an idea who's working on it i have an idea who's working on that as well yeah right okay i'm going to end the poll and i'm going to share the results Go for and it. i am going to tell mm, you that time. i was going for my favorite number five Although my favourite is actually number eight, because it's the one that <laughs> links to something we'll discuss in next week's webinar. So, yeah, number five, um, strength and capability. No equipment should be put where strength and capability may give way that, to rise to danger. So is that actually your favourite? If you, if, if you were to ask the question, what's your favourite regulation, you'd say number five? Um, no, my favourite <laughs> regulation is eight, then eight. five, and 29 is my brown trousers. That um. keeps me out of jail. See, I, I like four because of the need for systems to be maintained to prevent danger. Because I kind of, I get, I have to quote that a lot when I get challenged about maintenance, about systems of work and stuff. So I often end up using four a lot. It's interesting, isn't it? Because I'm sure there are people watching this or in here that will argue over different parts of the regulations. Yeah. This is why what we're saying, we're not saying that this is doctrine or the way you must follow it. This is just a a group of pals and, and my engineering interpretation are mates who are happy to tell me if I'm wrong. And Mr. Skirm will happily tell me if I'm wrong, um, which is good. But yes, yeah, so well done, everyone. I'm going to stop sharing on that. Um, there is no wrong answers on that, really, to be honest with you. So I'm going to close that poll. And I am then going to move us on. <coughs> and next week on the AWR, that's it. We are pretty much done and we're going to go for round two. Uh, what I'm going to do is I'm just going to leave on the screen um, the defence. The defence. We'll look at the chat and there's those couple of questions. And that's it. We'll Let's do at. the chat. So where do I find that? 
Um, if you're looking at your Zoom buddy, there's a chat and a Q&A that you can click to pop up. Chat is in between share screen and Q&A, and Q&A is there with the number two on it for me. Okay, gotcha, yeah. <clears throat> Mark Holmes. How does yeah. an open, open pen device meet EAWR Regulation 9? Some devices I've looked at do not have any way to monitor resistance of the contacts. Um, let's be very careful in what we say here, gents. Yeah, so nine meaning ref integrity of reference conductors. Yeah. Well, Does anybody want to answer this without trying to get sued? Yeah, so, I'll, uh, go, go, John. Have go, a go. John. I mean, what, what regulation I actually says is that if a circuit conductor is connected to Earth or any other reference point, nothing which might reasonably be expected to give rise to danger by breaking electric continuity or introducing high impedance shall be placed in that conductor unless suitable precautions are taken to prevent that danger. So the point about this is this is mainly to do with your electric vehicle charging stuff where you've got these devices which disconnect not only a line of neutral, they disconnect the protective conductor as well if a certain fault occurs. To prevent the voltage getting over there. Yeah. yeah. Um, so the point here is that if it doesn't have any way monitoring resistance to those contacts, if those contacts in that device went open or high impedance or something, when it recloses, You've then got protective conductors not connected, or it's got a high resistance in there or something. And obviously, that is not permitted by Regulation 9, as it does say uh, further on in the guidance. So, does it comply? It would seem not. Unless it's got some kind of monitoring. So down, it does. That would be down to the product manufacturer to, to prove that in court. And <clears throat> they would have to prove how they've complied with the electrical equipment safety regulations and the essential health safety requirements of the electrical equipment safety regulations and if, if directive if the argument is that that has made the situation safer by removing the voltage presence on an exposed conductive part is that going to argue that it's a better exemption would they have to have an you know would you have to have a certificate for that i think that debate is happening at the moment with the dnos <laughs> yeah and also i think this debate is one of our future podcasts no, it's it's a, it's well, we John. Have, we are covering this in our EV one. We've got EV webinars coming out, and we are we still have, researching yeah. it because it's mm. there are different answers depending on which DNO network you talk to, and we have different devices, including these new devices that automatically reclose. I'm you sure know, which, they're non-compliant. Well, which we will be looking into. Yeah. You know, yes. if they're going to claim they they serve as a protective device, but they automatically reclose, and ordinary persons are using them, then we do have some questions to to chew on yeah and and also joe has put a very interesting point compatibility is a major concern for these devices i think i think we all know that there is compatibility the more electronics and the more electricery we introduce the more potential emi the more potential compatibility issues we have mm. i would like to say that there is suitable and sufficient research publicly available um paul is shaking his head because he knows he <laughs> wants to go off on one um, but at this moment in time, can we play the Fifth Amendment? Yeah, all right. <laughs> yeah, he's breathing. Let's just Calm say down, this, uh, it's an area of considerable problems in a whole lot of ways. And so, we need to be uh, very careful as to what we say. Mm. So we've got more research to do, um, and we will give you our uh, independent opinions. That is a cracking observation in question. Thank you, Mark. Yeah. <laughs> you nearly got a suit tonight. Mark, yeah. Mark's followed up with, um, does that contact have to be tested on an EACR? 
Well, we don't normally test electrical products on an EACR. We only normally test the installation and that contact would form part of an electrical product. Um, so you could argue that it should be mm. tested under the um, in-service testing and inspection of electrical equipment. Oh, oh dear. How uh, good the people that do that can oh, be. Oh, dear. <laughs> However, yeah. if, you're, if you've installed one of these EV charging points, if you've got the test adapter to plug in where the car would go, you can do a loop impedance test there. That would give you some indication of whether that contact is open or not. So, yeah. but as for specifically going in and testing that contact, probably not. Yeah. It's part of the product. If you bought a product from whoever, it's up to the manufacturer, obviously, to... Uh, but it's very, it. it's very important to know which parts of 7671 or EAWR are heavily reliant upon the construction of products and stay in that product. Yeah. And, you know, if, if manufacturers claim that, you know, you follow a product standard, there's something else we're going to be talking about in an upcoming podcast or webinar about products and even like with RCDs where we rely on product standards instead of regular testing. We do need to know what we do on what we rely on and what we have to continue um proving ourselves uh, i mean <clears throat> when you're buying a product all you can all you can do is, is do your due diligence on the product standard you can't go back and check the product against the product product standards you can't get a, a charge point and get the charge point product standard and go through it and get all the technical file because you, you you can't get the technical file but all you can do is make sure the instructions look reasonable and, and the and it's just it's your good due diligence you yeah. know the requires of, of the regulations you know how the legislation will instruct that so you do your right due diligence to find the right product and you make sure that manufacturer's got uh this is your, your declarations or all your all your stuff that you need yeah. and that's your due diligence at i that don't point. see why you can't get hold of the manufacturer's technical file i've happily um <laughs> assigned ndas to review technical files and then ended up telling the manufacturer they hadn't done their due diligence properly you 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 as a client in your position, Paul, yeah, but yeah. can you imagine, you know, with no disrespect to John, he's a small electrical contractor. If he went up to, I'm not going to say Garo, because there's a good chance with Garo, but um, uh, one of the other um, pod manufacturers, you know, connection manufacturers, yeah. um, would, would they get? Would they show John their technical file? Would they show Sean or... Uh, I would hope they here? would, because yes, that's so the demonstration of conformity. Although, yes, you're right. I am in a unique position. So um, if anyone needs one, just let me know and I'll go and get it for you. Yeah, yeah but the law says they don't have to show it to anybody apart from HSC or trading standards. Yeah, I know. I know. Mm. And this is where I probably use my client buying power to yeah. say, give it to me or I won't buy any of your stuff ever. Yes. Um, so um, I'm going to move on because, uh, yeah. Mark, God I bless mean, you. You've really tucked us up tonight. So thank you for that. Although we love you. Um, please wait for the EV webinar. We'll do some more research on that. You've got to wait. Sorry. Um, Dave Betteridge has got a question. Um, and it's yep. the old debate reg 14 versus testing ZS or calculation. Now, I personally am of the view of uh, working on or near live conductors is the essential part of being an electrician. Um, there is nothing wrong with working on or near live conductors. So long as you are in control of the installation, you know what you're doing. And I will quote Regulation 14, work on or near live conductors, says no person shall be engaged in any work activity or so near any live conductor other than one suitably covered of insulation so as to prevent danger, um, that danger may arise unless it's unreasonable in all circumstances for it to be dead. It's unreasonable for all circumstances for him to be at work on or near live and suitable precautions where necessary to provide 
i.e. Uh, provision of suitable equipment or take to prevent injury. When you are testing, proving live, proving dead, you're working live. When you are doing a ZS, you're working live. If you have control of the installation and the installation isn't a hazardous dog's dinner and you have your GS30A and insulating gauntlets and rubber gloves and you know what you're doing, then there is no harm. However, the major sites will take, and, and this is true of all major projects, it's isolate period and there's nothing wrong with that because that's being reasonably practical. If you can switch it off, have it off. However, on places like the railways, you might not be able to switch off because the impact to the national economy, et cetera, is great. You know, the delays to train services and all the rest of it. So that's fine. Have suitably trained, qualified, the right tools, the right equipment. In a domestic house, there isn't a, a defense for not being able to isolate. So if you're working on a board, switch it off, then take the cover off and re-energize it and do your probes. Don't be lazy and just take the board cover off while it's live. That's just lazy. And that's where accidents happen because you may not know what's in there. It could be a rat's nest. Mm -hmm. um, and this is where you need to protect yourself going home for your family. So for me, it's very clear. I hate the fact that the industry allows people to calculate it. And I think we're doing a podcast on this, Paul, aren't we? Yeah. Uh, that would be nice because we have, uh, there are, um, you know, concerns over, over that calculation. And we're not, we're not going to cover that calculation now because there is an entire hour's worth of podcasting just on that calculation and the whole how can you calculate madness. Um, and I will call it madness, and that's my personal opinion. Um, someone has put, Sean, Sean has put, the importance of live testing needs more emphasis as do methods of doing so safely. Absolutely. If, if you can't understand the safety implications, should you really be doing it? Um, a live testing can be okay if precautions are taken from Sean Evans, appropriate, yes, GS38, art flash COVID, live working PPE, etc. Um, I like live testing as at no point with the minimum test 761 do you prove continuity of the neutral. Well, Dave's done a whole webinar on the hidden test 7671. That's how I was taught. Evidently, we've just seems to have got rid of tests over the years. That just shows my lack of CPD in that regards. Um, uh, da, 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 what's it? Would help flagging absence mm. of the neutrals during testing. You could call PFC at circuit end of line. Yes, don't disagree. Proper test has to be superior. Hang on. Paul Brewerton has said proper test has to be superior to calculated. Yes. I think the big firms just want to calculate, save time and effort and cut costs. I went for a job interview about 20 years ago with a company, and all they did was send people out to get ZSs, and they had an entire office of about 20 ladies who are doing all the mathematical calculations, which means a lot of these installations are never really properly tested after initial verification. And in them days, there wasn't initial verification. It was inspection and testing. Yeah, and they were doing it 20 years ago. And it's important to remember, if you're doing any ICR, you don't even start with the testing. It's all about that inspection. It's all about that discussion with the client, understanding if there's been a difference or a change of utilization or growth or anything like that. The stuff that we've covered tonight is applicable if you're doing any ICR. Because all of these things can change and all this could have detrimental effects. You know, so, we said on a previous podcast, there have been times where I've gone to EICRs and I've not even got the testers out of the wagon because by the time I've gone through a little bit of discussions, a little bit of visual inspection, there's the point of, you know, you know, there's no point at that point. So Joseph Jenkins, um, mm -hmm. Joey, to satisfy ER, EAWR Reg 4.1 and 5, should verification of accumulation of earth leakage be a minimum requirement in 7671 part six? Um, mm. My opinion is yes. I hope it will appear in future editions. It's, it's, it's just a case of knowing on behalf of what the client is going to connect into the system. 
so we can then quantify the value. But obviously, we need to have access to that quantity. You know, we found one manufacturer has given us a good reference. But this, again, is we need data that we don't have great access to. Oh, you were for our say. design. I mean, the, 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 it should be, but the problem you have there is is let's let's stick with it. Let's, let's stick with the domestic installation. I mean, you don't know yeah. what the client's going to come and plug in, do you? You know, um, like a new coffee machine. You you mm. you, you can if you've got um, an installation that's full of fixed loads, or if you've got a lot of fixed loads in the installation, you can you can get the data on that, and you can you can do that calculation. But as soon as you start bringing socket outlets into it, you know, um, you know, you've got 200 employees. They're going to, under them, going to bring in a phone charger and plug it in every day to save them charging their phones at home because they can steal the electricity at work rather than use their own electricity at home. You know, 100 phone chargers at, you know, even 0.1 of a milliamp per leakage per charge. Oh, that's done it. Yeah, I know a lot of them are double insulated. I'm just using that as a. As I a think kind of, I think the rise of clamp meters is coming. Um, oh, yeah. I think they're quite handy for figuring out installation and not that I'm throwing away because everybody seems to be pulling at the, um, the, 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 the threads of all our future podcasts. Um, but there, I think we are doing one on this subject in a little bit more detail anyway, um, because we, we have read the, um, if I can find it, it's buried in these books somewhere, the Irish regulations, which um, do oh, actually, 101. oh, this one. Yeah. Um, which do actually require the electrical contractor and installer to know what the connected system is, amongst other things. But I'm not giving away that webinar because that's a webinar where we're going to highlight <laughs> the 20 key changes mm. between the UK and the Irish regs, which is the next one I'm working on. Funnily enough, after part two, this will be the Irish regs one, unless we're doing the electrical installations in furniture one day. I don't know. Could do. But in, 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 the, in the domestic sector, there's going to be some change when we have maybe another amendment or another on-site guide release where they're going to start saying in kitchens, we would recommend, you know, X, Y, Z final circuits to minimize the numbers, you know, maybe two or three sockets per RCD or RCBO, you know, as a way to try and achieve selectivity here or the discrim or the uh, division of installation under 314, because you can't just have a kitchen ring final circuit and have this assumption that nine milliamp will not be exceeded at that point for one single RCBO. Yeah, this you know? thing, this whole idea of this sort of this like dual RCD consumer unit is really totally obsolete now. Yeah, um, even in installations you get now, if you actually get a clamp meter like a that does milliamp range, if you actually check what's on a lot of these, a lot of the time it's way over the nine milliamps, and yeah. you don't actually need that much stuff plugged in for it. So eventually we're going to have a lot more circuits particularly for things like kitchens where you've got your washing machines and all kinds of other stuff which by design have in many cases several milliamps each Whoa. so you get two or three of those yeah you're straight away over the nine milliamps John, so, i think we were researching do you remember that suite of standards that defined all the milliamp leakage of certain equipment i think yeah. cookers mm. and showers were 10 milliamps yeah so, see the, one another, circuit, one device in the case of those. So. Yeah, I, I remember discussing, seeing this, a forum or a thread on this once before where they said, well, well, maybe the answer is to have, you know, radial circuits with the um, the socket outlets having RCDs on them, a bit like they would in the receptacles in the US. But that comes to the issue that we have, which I don't want to start talking about now, about RCDs to, is it 7288, Paul? The socket outlet ones. Yeah, socket outlet yeah, RCDs. And what we, yeah. what we assume they can or cannot achieve. 
But you know, it might be that we go we divide systems down even further down that point. Who knows that, where things will go? That's a good point as well because in the comp, I think it's the chat. There is talk about undervoltage. And I was saying to you guys the other night when about we were voltage. talking literally about yeah. undervoltage, where there was RCDs. I remember BS4293 RCDs that when the voltage dropped out, they were active and they would trip out and you would have to go and actively reset them. But the mm. passive ones would cope and just come back on if there was a, a loss of power. Yeah. Um, that still happens, but apparently it's more in the plug tops now and the sockets rather than... we hit two hours it's probably a good idea that we wrap this up these guys are just hearing what we go and just wumble about anyway indeed Um, right any um, other questions is that everything questions or bits and bobs mark's Mark's added that class one and two appliances can have a maximum five milliamp leakage easily and still pass according to the fifth edition code of practice which i've had i've had to just buy 10 copies of mark holmes (sighs) needs to come on these podcasts yeah and just 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 give us a vent tell us what you're thinking <laughs> all right um so what's what's the next one's next tuesday yeah it's, we're going to carry this on all the way through to the end of chapter 13 it's already on um, the site to register if you've not registered for it please yet please register um this will go on the tube of you the tube at of some you. point mm-hmm. um and just before we go two things one congratulations mr skirm on his iet fellowship oh yes what well um we? and huge love and respect live because this man is is has cancer and there is a uh, a very long e5 podcast coming out where oh, he course, tells yeah. his entire story um to date um so it's worth listening to and yeah, be out very soon. and that's it really mm. yeah thank you everyone for coming in taking part um thank you for this one paul bringing this subject in and thank you john and paul for coming on board and you know it's just great when you can just open debate these things with your mates other thing if anybody wants a copy of this the full version after the second part just let us know and i'll email it to you the powerpoint that is dex yeah, has yeah. already asked dex has already asked for that oh no he can sod off not dex <laughs> no but anybody else but dex can have a copy of it i think you must have had some questions that i didn't um, i didn't see paul in that because they weren't in the uh, in the chat that i've got here so it doesn't matter oh no there's two isn't there there's a q a box and a there's chat sorry they're a... on both hey, sides yeah, no, i had screen. the q a box but um yeah, some of these are in uh, the chat chat yeah yeah got so, that right okay. we'll, we'll we'll do this again next tuesday um thank you everyone for watching and listening and on youtubing and putting nice comments down and not negative and peace and love we'll see you next week cheers guys yeah. cheers guys thank you everyone okay. bye. Bye. bye um remember which button to press mate no i don't <laughs> well, i can leave you've got to close this thing <laughs>